word of prayer, then we will jump in. Tonight's topic is incredibly important, um, very, very important for us to, to really get a handle on. Uh, and so we want to pay close attention and really kind of take our time and walk through that. I don't know that we'll have time for questions other than I will hang around afterwards. If you have a question, um, I will be here. So our small group on Sunday night was canceled tonight, so I can hang around for a while. Um, usually I have to bug right out to get home. So um, let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll jump in. Father, we are thankful that you are our God and that, Lord, you... Uh, desire us to be like you. It's, you've even, Paul, told the Ephesians to, to be imitators of you. And so, Father, that's all part of our sanctification, of our being set apart, of our being made holy. Father, may we experience that more. May we, may we gain a better understanding of it tonight. Would your Holy Spirit come, and as we study his role in this, uh, would he teach us? And open our hearts and open our minds that we might understand and that by understanding, we would change the way we live, uh, change where we need to change. And Father, confirm tonight where we can be confirmed. Uh, encourage us where we can be encouraged. And so, Father, open your word, your truth. Uh, sanctify us by your truth, as Jesus prayed. And uh, we just pray it all in his name, to his glory. Amen. Um, we want to review some terms uh, that we've been talking about. Uh, over the last uh, few weeks. And uh, the first one, the definition is, and you tell me what the word is, it is that process whereby God through a second birth imparts to the believing sinner a new nature. Regeneration. Um, it is the, the part of the salvation process of being born again, yes, but regeneration is the good technical term for it. Um, and, and we talked about when that, that Jesus said, unless, a, you know, he told Nicodemus, unless a person is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. And so unless we are regenerated, unless we are recreated, unless we have that new nature, and we talked about the Holy Spirit comes and puts in us a new nature. He puts in us God's nature, to, looking to restore that image in which we were created in. Uh, you know, if you go back and read the creation story that, that uh, man was made in the image of God and we have that image within us, but saint, uh, sin has tainted that. Thanks, Jim. Sin has tainted that and, and now we're carrying around this fallen image, this fallen nature. And so when the Holy Spirit comes in at that point of salvation, it happens instantaneously. That we are regenerated, we are born again, we are recreated back to the image of God. Um, now, it would be great if the old nature were then done away with, but it's not. And so we have this battle of the new nature and the old nature. Paul wrestled with that, Romans chapter 7. How many of you were able to sit down and read Romans 6, 7, and 8 this week? That was your homework. Okay, I got three that get four, five, that six that get a star. The rest of you get, you know, the unhappy face, uh, which I don't think teachers are allowed to put on papers anymore, but you just don't get a star. Everyone gets a star. Those that did their homework gets two stars. I don't believe it anymore, and you do any more than the kids do, but somebody's happy. Um, so regeneration, very important that we understand that. As believers, it has already happened. To you. If you are a believer here tonight, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, this has already happened. You have a new nature within you. The trick is now living according to that nature and not according to the old sin nature. That's, that's the, the process uh, that we're talking about tonight. Next word, that judicial act of God which, on account of Christ, to whom the sinner is united by faith, he declares that sinner to no longer exposed to the penalty of the law but restored to his favor. Justification. Justification. It is a judicial word. It is a, a lawyer's term that they have been justified. They have been uh, declared no longer under the penalty of sin. Okay? This is the wiped away the guilt. You're no longer guilty before God. Again, this happens instantaneously at the moment of salvation. Um, that uh, you are no longer, you will no longer be exposed to the penalty of the law or the penalty of sin. 
Um, and so does away with the guilt. We're no longer guilty before God, okay? So when we get guilt feelings, when we, when we get to feeling guilty, that probably did not come. Now, there is conviction that's different than guilt. Conviction is just pointing out that, you know, the, the choices you have made or what you've just recently done is not right. Guilt comes from, oh, woe is me, it's not right. Guilt is that, that, that feeling that, that renders us powerless, where conviction actually points us in the right direction. And so guilt doesn't come from the Father. Guilt doesn't come from God. Guilt comes from the enemy. Conviction will come from the Holy Spirit, from that battle within us. And so if we follow with the conviction and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. Okay, justification is he's declared you guiltless. You are no longer guilty before God. Third word, follows regeneration, happens right again instantaneously, which gives one the nature of God, uh, adoption, give one the position of a child of God. Adoption, I gave you the word in the definition. Okay, regeneration gives one the nature of God. Adoption gives one the position of a child of God. We have been adopted so we've been regenerated, okay? So we have the nature of God. We've been justified where the guilt is removed. The sin guilt is removed. The penalty is gone. And now we are declared to be a child of God. We have been adopted. So we have all rights that a child has, which is why the, the Bible says that we are, heir, we are co-heirs with Christ. So everything that Christ has as being the Son of God is ours by adoption. Okay? We are adopted uh, into God's family. Those three things all happen simultaneously. The last one is sanctification. And it mean, the basic meaning is to set apart or to separate. Okay? And so our sanctification is we are being set apart. Set apart from what? Sin. Set apart from sin. Remember, we now have a new nature. Regeneration, justification, adoption. We're a new creature. Old things are gone away. All things have become new. And so we are now separated not only from the penalty of sin, but we're now separated from the power of sin. In what we were once unable to do, say no to temptation. We now have the power through the Holy Spirit within us to say no. We now have the power within us to say no to sin. We now have the power within us to say no to sin every single time. The problem is we don't always utilize the power that we have. We don't always realize the power that we have. And we give in. We do sin. God knows that we're going to. That's why 1 John 1, 9, if you, if you sin, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. He knows we're going to. That's why that's there as a promise that he will still forgive. But understand that you have the power to not sin. It's the new nature. It's the regeneration. It's the power of the Holy Spirit within you. It's still a struggle. But it is a possibility, which gives me hope that the next time I face temptation, I might actually win this one. I have the power to overcome this one. I can walk around now as if I'm going to win rather than if I'm just going to get beat up and lose again. You know, there's a world of difference in walking onto any kind of basketball court or baseball field if you think before the game ever starts that you're going to win. You play totally different than if you think you're going to lose. We're going to lose. Even if the odds are stacked up against you, the enemy is bigger than you, stronger than you, and, and has tripped you up before in this area, but you can go in saying, you know what? I can win this. I can beat him on this. He can bring that temptation, and not that we're asking him to, Flee temptation. Get yourself away from the possibility of temptation. Make it easy for you to win. But if it comes up, you have the power. That's sanctification. That's being set apart. That's, we're being separated from sin. We're being separated from that sin nature. Um, but it doesn't put an end 
to the sin nature. Oh, that it would. Uh, that would make it a whole lot easier. This process uh, of sanctification appears over a thousand times in the scripture. It's talked about things being set apart, things being sanctified, things being made holy, declared holy. It talks not only of people being sanctified, being declared holy, but it talks about days and seasons, that, that the Sabbath was made holy, it was sanctified. Um, there, were, there was furniture in the temple that was sanctified, it was declared holy. Um, uh, Mount Sinai was sanctified, it was declared holy, it was separated. Uh, the tabernacle, the city gates, houses were declared holy, were sanctified. Did you ever think that you could do that to your house? Declare it holy? Because how many of you live in a brand new house, you're the only person that ever lived in it? Good for you. You know what's gone on in that house. You ever moved into a house, do you wondered what 50 years ago went on in that house? There may still be stuff in that house that you're not even aware of. That you need to separate it. You need to sanctify that house. You need to, to declare that house holy. Um, we do this every time we buy a house. If we, if we move into a new house, we pray through it. We declare every room for God. We, we declare victory in every room, every hallway. We walk through the house praying God's deliverance, God's victory on that house because we don't know what went on in the prior owner's life. And we declare that house for God. I do it with my car. Anything that I have that, that I'm a steward of, I declare it for God. I, I set it apart for his use. Um, we used to, the elders at the churches that I was at before, used to be called on every once in a while to go in and pray through somebody's house. They wanted to dedicate the house to the Lord, a uh, house that they just moved into. Um, and so that, those, are, those are all biblical things that happen throughout scripture. Uh, that those things were set apart, they were sanctified, they were made holy, declared holy, um, separated for God uh, and for his use. Um, now, what's the Holy Spirit's work towards sanctification? What is it that he is doing in all of this? First thing is he's filling, okay? He's filling us. He fills the believer. This is different than indwelling, Okay? We talked about that at, when we talked about Pentecost, that being indwelt with the Spirit is different than being filled with the Spirit. That if a person is indwelt with the Spirit, that happens instantaneously at salvation. When you place your faith in Jesus as your Savior, Holy Spirit moves in, does the regeneration, the justification, the adoption, and then He's there. He's indwelling you. He's living in you. But filling is another whole thing altogether. Filling is that total surrender. Uh, that, that, he, that, that he wants to take over every area of your life. He wants to take over your work life, your family life, your church life, your uh, social life. Uh, he, he wants to take over every area of your life. And so there comes a point where we need to give a total surrender. A, a once and all, wave the white flag, and we are yours, God. And every area of our life becomes his. Then he fills us, and he will only fill what we give him to fill. He won't force himself into any area. And so if we hold back, he's not going to be there. He's not going to fill that area. And so if we have relationships that aren't right, maybe we need to stop back and step back and say, have I given this relationship, have I given this area of my life to the Holy Spirit? Have I asked him to fill this relationship? Because we can't just flippantly say, Lord, fill me. I think any more than we can say, Lord, forgive my sin without confessing sins. That, that we get specific with him. And so what areas do we want filled? What areas are we still holding back on? That he's just standing there waiting to get in. He will not fill what we do not give him. Second thing is he's directing he directs us, guides us would be another word. John 17, 17, Jesus is, uh, really that is the Lord's Prayer, John 17, 17. Um, when he was in the garden praying for uh, his disciples, praying for us, uh, because he prayed not only for those that God gave him, but those that would believe because of their message, which is us. He said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So set them apart by your truth. 
And the Holy Spirit is going to come and lead us, guide us, direct us into truth that helps us separate ourselves from the world. That helps us live different from the world. That we have a different lifestyle. We have a different purpose, a different meaning for living than the world does. And the world doesn't understand it, and, and we'll look goofy. You may even look goofy to other Christians. Because a spirit-filled Christian always looks like a fanatic to the lukewarm one. The spirit-filled Christian always looks like a fanatic to the lukewarm Christian who's just kind of bumping through. And they don't get why you're so spiritual. That's usually the term they use. Why are you so spiritual? Why do you think you're so holy? Well, and it's not that I think I'm holy. It's that the Holy Spirit has set me apart, and I'm living to please Him. I have a different purpose, a different meaning for why I live. He's going to direct us. And the Holy Spirit's main tool is the Word of God, so that's why we need to know it. We need to study it. We need to be in it. We need to be reading it. We need to be understanding it. And and most of all, we need to be asking the Holy Spirit to help us apply it, to live it out, to be obedient to it. So he's going to fill us. He's going to direct us. He's going to enable us. Enabling is another word. This is victory over sin. He enables us to win. Um, This is sanctification's main function. In separating us, he he comes through the Holy Spirit, separating us from sin, from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, that that we now are enabled to be victorious, that we can now win. It's that whole what I said with, with temptation. You now have the ability within you to never sin again. It's there. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And it it fills you and enables you to overcome temptation. And no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And be assured of this, that what? There's always a way out. The Holy Spirit will always lead you. He will direct you. He will guide you. He will enable you to take the way out. And so that's why I say it is possible from this point on to not sin. Probably not going to happen, but it's possible. And we need to live within that possibility that we can do it, that we can get more and more sinless. Okay? And I've said it before. It's not that we're going to be sinless. It's that we're going to sin less and less and less is what we will do. Okay? He's going to enable us. Uh, second thing is he's going to, or the fourth thing is he's going to transform us. He's going to change your life. For some of you, you will be unrecognizable. Maybe physically you'll be recognizable, but when someone stands back and watches you, that will be unrecognizable. I've seen the stories, heard the stories, uh, experienced the stories of, of changed lives. That, that I, I think I've said this before, that when I, in the position that I'm in as a pastor in the church, I don't always see the before Christ. A lot of times I see the after Christ, the, the, the part that the, the regenerated person, the justified person, the, the, the sanctified person. And when I hear stories of what they were like prior to, I'm like, there's no way that was you. I had a guy that he was the most gentle Randy was his name, the most gentle man, uh, played softball, he was the most encouraging person, soft-spoken, just got along with everyone, made everyone laugh. We got to talk him one day, and I, I asked him about his life before Christ, and he said, oh man, he said, you wouldn't have known me. He said, I used to drink. He said, and I was a mean drunk. He said, I'd walk into a bar and just look for the person I wanted to hit. I'd just walk over and level him. He said, I was in fights all the time. I've been thrown out of so many bars for fighting and yelling. and I'm like, really? (laughs) Because he was the most gentle person. But that was the sanctified Randy. That was the transformed Randy. He was different now. And every aspect of your life is going to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's sanctification. That's being set apart. The way you think needs to be different. The way you act needs to be noticeably different. Your priorities are different now. You might offend some people because suddenly what you want out of life is different than what you wanted before. We need to speak different. 
We need to hear different. We listen differently with the Holy Spirit. We listen for hurt and need in others. We, we need to see differently. That when we look at people, we, we see different things. We now see potential. We now, see, we now look for, for the good in a person. We look for ways to encourage them. We look for ways to build them up. For ways that we can get involved in their life and share Jesus with them if they're not a believer. And a way to build them up and spur them on to good works if they are a believer. You see, we now look at everyone different. That's transforming. And that's a process. It doesn't just happen. Some things we have to learn to listen better. We have to learn to care. We have to learn to see in people what, what God sees in people. But the power to do it is there. The power of the Holy Spirit to make those changes is there. The, the last thing is producing of the fruit of the Spirit. One of the ways you know you or anyone is Spirit-filled is look for the, Spirit, look for the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. We've read them before. We're going to spend all week on them last, next week. Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's nothing wrong with doing any of those things. You can't do those things wrong. Okay? There's only right ways to love people. Share joy, be at peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Next week we're going to dive into each of those and kind of start to unpack what that will look like. What does a Spirit-filled fruit of the spirit filled person look like and we're going to judge our lives up against it because that's the goal that's that's part of that transformation that needs to take place okay so that's what the holy spirit does in this process of sanctification he fills us he directs us he enables us he transforms us and he produces the fruit of the spirit in us okay so all of those things need to be taking place in our life visibly other people need should see it uh, ask people to hold you accountable to it Ask, ask a really, really good Christian friend. Every once in a while, let's just get together and talk about these things. Do you see that in my life? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Do you see, do you see a transformation? Am I different now than a year ago? Go back a year, okay? Give yourself a break. You go back a week, okay, you may not be any different than you were a week ago, but look back over time. What has that transformation looked like? What has taken place? How are you different today than you were a year ago? Okay? Now, some differences between sanctification and justification. Some of these will make sense. Some of them won't. That's fine. Um, but justification is different. Justification is the instantaneous, at the time of salvation, removing the penalty of sin. Okay? He's justifying us. He's declaring us <coughs> sinless. Sanctification is the process of making us sinless. So here's some differences. These come from Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. If you buy one book this year, make it that one. Um, it's about yay thick, and it probably costs an arm and a leg. I don't know. Um, I haven't looked to see just how much it is. But Wilmington's Guide to the Bible is an excellent one if you want to really dive in uh, to, to Scripture and meanings and words and things like that. Justification talks about our standing, Okay how we stand before God. We stand as one guiltless. Sanctification talks about our state. What state are we in? Are we guiltless? Are we sinless? Well, it's a process of getting us there. So while sanctification says, yep, you are, salvation, or, or justification says, yep, you are, sanctification says we're working on it. Okay? We're in the state of, of moving in that direction. Justification is what God does for us, we don't have anything to do with justification. We're, we are the defendant standing before the court, and God the judge declares us justified, declares us guiltless, innocent, okay? We don't have anything to do with that. Sanctification is what God does in us, okay? It's an inward work, not something he does on the outside, but something he does inward. Justification is an act. It's a one-time deal. He does it instantaneously. It happens. Sanctification is a process. And we'll look at that process in just a little bit. Justification is the means. Sanctification is the end. Justification makes us safe. OK? 
okay, as far as, you know, it's our fire insurance, we're, we're safe from hell, we're given eternal life. Sanctification makes us sound. We're solid. We're not just safe and on rocky ground, but we're, we're safe and sanctification makes us sound, okay? Um, justification declares us good, sanctification makes us good. Okay, just sanctif- justification is that here's the goal, this is what you're to be. Sanctification is getting us there. Removes the guilt and the penalty. Sanctification checks for growth and power. Justification is the track to heaven. Sanctification is the train. I, know, I said some of it may be helpful, some of it not. But I didn't want to leave one out and give all the others. The track train thing didn't uh, right over my head, but Okay. Maybe it paints a picture for you. What are the requirements of sanctification? What, what, what requirements do it, does a person have in order to be sanctified? Or enter into this process? First one is a salvation experience. A person must be saved. Um, a person has to come to that point to where they accept Jesus and they admit their own need for a Savior. They, they confess their sins before him. They repent of a life of sin and they ask Jesus to come in and regenerate them, to, to recreate them. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit comes in. So the salvation experience is necessary. Romans 8, 9. You, are, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So you have to have the Spirit. You have to belong to Christ in order for the Spirit to start this sanctification process. Okay? So every believer has it, is there. Requirement number two, complete confession and repentance. Romans 6, 1 and 2, and 11 and 12. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Okay, so we have to have a complete confession and repentance. This is, we come to a point to where, you know what, I accepted Christ, forgive me of my sins, and then it seemed like I just stepped right back into him. And I, I, my life wasn't changed. I, I, I'm struggling now because now I got the Holy Spirit convicting me from the inside that what I was doing was wrong. But, but I'm still find myself doing it. There has to come that point where we complete confession, complete repentance. And repentance really is the key here. Because confession, you can confess and then go do, confess and then go do, confess and then go do. Because confession is just agreeing with God that it was wrong. And that's what confession means is to agree and so when I confess that, that what I did last night was sinful, I'm just saying, yep, Lord, what I did last night was sinful. Repentance is turning the other way, and I'm not going to do it again. So confession and repentance have to go together. And, and, and sanctification requires a complete confession. I mean, it, this may take you some time. You may have to sit down and, and work through some of your life and, and attitudes and actions, behaviors, thought processes, everything. You, you need to, that's why it's a process. This isn't an instantaneous thing. And it may be that you spend an hour, hour and a half just confessing to God and the Holy Spirit bringing these things to your mind that you had forgotten about, the ways of life that you had totally forgotten. And you're confessing to God and then you, you say amen and the Holy Spirit forgives, cleanses you from all unrighteousness. You go on your way and two days later you're like, ooh, there's another one. And you go right back to it again. And so th- this complete uh, confession and repentance can also, you know, there's a one-time, big time that you sit down and you're just, you empty yourself before God and before the Holy Spirit. And then there may be, you know, other times that he brings things up. It is very much a lifelong process because it is making us like Christ, to become like Christ, conform to the image of his son, as Romans says. And that is a lifelong process. And, and so, but there's probably going to be at the front end of that a lot of heavy time spent confession and repenting and then as we go. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to the chart. I think the chart will help make all of this 
clear. So some of you are saying, why didn't we start with the chart? Um, number three, a deep desire to be filled. You have to really want it. You have to be serious about it. And God knows that. God knows when you come to him flippantly, and God knows when you come to him all out. And, and so we need to come to him all out. Luke eleven thirteen. which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But you have to, you have to want it. You have to desire it. It's got to be a deep desire to be filled. Number four, total surrender. We kind of already talked about that with the complete confession and repentance. Romans 6, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Every part, every aspect of your life. Everything you're involved in, every group that you're in, every um, organization you work with, every job at, at work, your occupation, everything you offer to him. And allow him to, to work in you and through you in that. Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Okay, living sacrifice. What's the problem with the living sacrifice? Crawls off the altar, okay? You know, if you, if you give a sacrifice to God and you're offering that sheep or that goat uh, or the, the, the bull or whatever it is that you're, when you get up to the altar and you slit that animal's throat and you lay it on the altar, that animal ain't going nowhere. It's dead. It's laying on the altar. But a living sacrifice is one where we approach the altar with our own life and we don't actually slit our throat, but we lay ourselves on the altar and we say, You're, we're yours, God. But the problem with us still living is we can crawl down off the altar and go do our own thing. And what Paul is saying here is don't do that. Give yourself every part of yourself to him, okay? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Sacrifices that are going to crawl off the altar and do something with it, Okay? Be a positive sacrifice to God. Allow him to, and that is our spiritual act of worship. It's one of the ways we worship him, uh, is by the way we live our life. Okay, uh, five, asking. We need to ask him for it. Again, Luke eleven thirteen goes back to which of you fathers. Okay, we need to ask God for it. Um, and this is more than just a deep desire. I can have a deep down desire and never ask for anything. You know, there are times where... Um, you know, I, I could have a really deep desire to, to do something, you know, for vacation or whatever. But if I don't ever share that, it's probably never going to happen. If I don't ever ask the family, hey, you want to do this, it probably isn't going to happen because it's my deep desire. If I, I might get lucky and my wife or one of my kids has the same deep desire and they voice it. But that deep desire has to then be voiced. We have to ask for the filling. We have to ask for the, for the, for the, the sanctification, for the separation. Uh, in order for it to happen. And then lastly, it takes implicit faith. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Yep. Implicit faith. I didn't think so. Implicit faith is that, I mean, it, it's, it's the sold out. It's the total surrender. That, that we are living by faith, not by sight. Um, and that the things of this world do not hold any sway with us. And we're implicit about that. We, we have this implicit, this sold out, solid faith. Does that make sense? 1 John 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Okay, that, that's implicit. That's knowing. Okay, it's, it's confidence. It's, it's assurance that, that whatever we ask of God and, and we ask to be filled, we know that, it's, that we're filled. Two prayers that will always be answered yes. Lord, I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me? Yep. Lord, will you fill me? Yep. Always answered yes. Always get a yes answer to those two prayers. If you need a yes answer from God, pray one of those two. 
He follows through every time. Um, some of the essential elements of the experience. What can we expect or what can we see? How can we understand this experience of being filled? One, this is the normal experience for every Christian. Should be. Should be the normal experience. This is normal Christian life. This is what's expected. This is what God would hope for us, that we would live this way. Sold out, complete confession, repentance, desire to be filled, implicit faith, living by him, guided by him, changed, transformed by him. That's normal, okay? Anything else is abnormal Christian life, okay? So this is the normal experience for every Christian, or should be. Number two, this is a command to everyone. We are commanded to be filled, to be sanctified, to be set apart. Okay, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled, right. It's a continual, it's not a one-time deal. Okay, this be filled is a be being filled, continuous filling. So it may be asking every day, Lord, fill me. You may hit a snag in the middle of the day and say, Lord, fill me. You know, because if we're constantly being poured out, if we're constantly giving of ourselves to others, if, if, if we are ministering and caring, and, then, then we're giving out and we need to keep getting filled. If we're not giving out and we got filled and now we're just stagnant, then we need to go back and get cleansed because that water is no good. Okay? So it's the, it's the living out and we're commanded to be being filled. Number three, there is a need for transformed lives for everyone. This is essential. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'll never get tired of reading it, even if you get tired of hearing it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to attest and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This word transformation is my latest topic of study. Um, every once in a while, I'll run across the word, or I'll run across the concept that just kind of sticks in my head, and I can't, God won't let me just breeze right on past it. Transformation right now, or transforming, is that word for me right now. Um, some of you may know I'm, I'm taking master's classes. Um, I went back to school. I don't know why, um, but I did. And uh, we're, I'm doing organizational leadership. I'm getting my master's in organizational leadership through Geneva. Um, those of you that are familiar with Pastor Bob Thomas, when he went through, I'm going through the exact same program he went through. Um, he laughs at me all the time. Um, not really. He's been a big help up to this point. But one of the styles of leadership is transformational leadership. And ever since I've started reading that, that has just stuck with me. And I, what is transformation? What does it mean to be transformed? to be changed. Um, I'm not going to give you the answer because I haven't gotten all the way through it yet. I'm still wrestling with what that word means, but I know it, there's a change. It's different. Things are different now than they were before. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. See if you can pick anything out of what I'm, this list of today's society, Okay. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Just had that conversation with parents this afternoon. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You got a picture of any of those things happening in the world around us? Now, here's the kicker. That was written to the church. Because there were people in the church that were living that way. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. Now, are we to have something to do with unbelievers that are unholy, slanderous, are we to, are we to, we're to come alongside them, are we not? We're to be a friend of sinners. So I'm believing he's not talking about unbelievers here. He's talking about believers who haven't been changed. 
They have this form of godliness. They look like it on the outside. They say the right things. They show up at church all the time. They, they even talk about reading their Bible and all the spiritual things. But deep down, there's been no transformation in their life whatsoever. And God says, have nothing to do with them. Those are people in the church, not the world. People who profess to be different. People who profess Christ, but only have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Its power to what? Power to change. They deny the power to transform. And I just said that, that there is a power that transforms us, that there's a power that gives you the victory over sin, that makes it that you have the power to say no to temptation. These are people who live denying that power. They're living with no change, no transformation, but they'll say all the things. They have some form of godliness, but they deny the power to change. So I'm saying without transformation, without change, we have to wonder about salvation. We have to wonder about, is there re any regeneration going on in there? Has there been any justification? I'm not even so worried about justification. That's just the deal between you and God. But is there regeneration happen? Is there a new nature there? Because there's a form of godliness, but I don't see any transformation. I don't see any change. Still working on that word. How long do you spend with people that seem caught in this form of godliness, but no transformation? I think until the Lord reveals, you're done. And I think he will. You know, he, he tells us, don't throw your uh, pearls before swine. Knock the dust off of your feet and go on if they won't take you in. So I, I'm thinking we probably don't spend a lot of time with them. Uh, once we get to know and we can establish that there's a form of godliness, but they're denying the whole power of anything of God, move on. Move on to someone else. <coughs> There's unlimited forgiveness, but we're not talking forgiveness here. Um, there is unlimited forgiveness. If this person comes to you and continually, you know, hurts or you are in some way, yeah, we're to continually forgive them. But he's saying don't have anything to do with them. Don't really waste your time with them. But yeah, we are to continually forgive them, but that doesn't necessarily mean we come up alongside them all the time and befriend them. Llewellyn. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pride is, I mean, the, the basis of sin, the foundation of sin is self and pride. And mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, because they're not going to drag you down the road they're going on. Um, if you can't change them, if you can't, that's a good point. That this is actually kind of a, a, a word of warning or, or help benefit to the, to the believer. Um, if you come alongside them and you spend an enormous amount of time trying to help them with the transformation and change and the going, and they just keep denying it and denying it and denying it, there's a good chance that you're going to slide into their life. That if you're not truly built up and strengthened and strong to walk into those situations, it could have an adverse effect on you. And so he's saying, you know, go in, try, try, try. If it doesn't happen, step away. Step away. Because it's, it's going to benefit, it's going to protect you. Jude 23. Um, write that down, look it up. Um, does deal with this whole idea of, of we can get dragged into their life. Um, number four, this is what enables us to have victory over sin, okay? This is one of the, the essential elements is that we are having victory over sin. We are winning. Can you see it in your life? Can you see that the sin that you used to struggle with, you know, is not near the struggle anymore? Now, I believe, too, that there's a sin that so easily entangles that everybody has that one thing that just they, man, 
come back to it. It just haunts them. It's there, it's there, it's there. The temptation is there at every turn. Okay, you still have the power to overcome that. It's just this is the one that Satan's going to throw in front of you all the time. But can you see that you, you have been victorious? That there have been sins in your life that, you know what, you don't struggle with anymore. That once was a daily struggle, you seem to be getting over. That's sanctification. That's one of the elements. That's what we can expect in this process. Um, number five, this is what produces the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? This is what, if, if we want to love people better, then we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we want to exhibit joy in our life, if you want joy in your life, you need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to have this, this, this complete surrender and, and in this sanctification that's being set apart. All of those fruits of the Spirit, which we'll talk about next week. Now, warning. There is a severe danger of resisting the Holy Spirit at this point. A severe danger in getting to this point and saying, you know what, I need total surrender and not doing it. Backing away. Romans 8, 12, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Galatians 5, 4, You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. Otherwise, you that have been trying to legalistically earn your way into heaven. You've tried to be justified by doing right things, not justified by faith. Okay? We're justified by our faith, not by doing. You who are trying to be justified by what you do have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Otherwise, do it, don't do it, doesn't matter. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So when, if we get to this point and we see that we need to take that next step and we back off of it, it's going to get harder and harder to take that step. So that when we come to this place, and this is, this is true of any, any uh, juncture that we come to in our, in our spiritual journey, in our spiritual life, that when we come up to it and we, we're convicted, we know this is the thing we need to do, and we don't do it, it's just going to get harder to do it the next time we're faced with that. So do it. Step across. All right? Take, take what uh, and follow what God is, is calling us to do. Okay, let me take these last 10 minutes and paint this picture for you. You have on the last page this chart. I did not come up with this chart. This chart was something we had in Bible college. Um, this chart as it uh, outlined. This is the process of sanctification. You'll see there at the cross, that's the point when we uh, ask Jesus to forgive our sins, when we accept him as our savior, when we place our faith in him. This is the, it's at that point at the cross that what happens that we talked about? Regeneration happens. Justification happens. And adoption happens at that point. Something else happens. With sanctification, we are then positionally sanctified. Okay, positional sanctification okay, is what it's called. This is when we are at that point. Positionally, we are, we are holy. We are made holy. Positionally. Otherwise, other, when, when God looks upon us, he sees Christ. He sees Christ's righteousness put to our account. Okay, so positionally, we are holy. That's what enables us to go to the Father in prayer. That's what enables us to say, Abba, Father, or Daddy to him. That enables us to have that intimate relationship. Because if we were not positionally sanctified, if we were not positionally made holy, then we would be separated from God. You see, that's why in the Old Testament, if you remember the tabernacle, they had the outer court, and then they had the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was separated by a, a big curtain. And only the priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And he had to go through this whole righteous or ritualistic cleansing in order to, to make himself be able to be considered holy, righteous, to go in there because that's where God was seated. Now, what happened when Christ was crucified? 
the veil tore because now positionally any believer has the right to go in there because we have been positionally declared holy. That's a great place to be, okay? But we can't just stay right there because positionally we're holy, but if you go down to this timeline, this chart, we still look pretty sinful, okay? And there's probably the moment you accept Christ, uh, whether it's, you know, in your living room, in your car, in a church, at a camp, or wherever it is that you accept Christ, the moment you walk away, you probably don't look or act a whole lot different to the people around you. You're the same old you. Now, inside, you feel totally different. You feel a release from sin. You feel that power to live. You sense the purpose and the meaning. But probably in your actions, you don't look a whole lot different or you haven't acted a whole lot different. And so now we're moving through life positionally declared holy, but experientially we now are moving through a timeline that we become more, we have to now experience that separation, experience that holiness. And that's the experiential sanctification. This is that timeline. This is this part right here. This arrow that's all jagged because we have highs and lows in that. We have times when we are really growing and maturing and man, we are on fire and things are happening and then boom, something happens, sets us back a little bit. We drop off a little. And ideally, we, we go back, we get back on track, and, and we're off and running again, okay? So experientially, we're now growing toward Christ-likeness. That's what this is up here. This is perfect holiness at the top. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're being conformed to the image of His Son, created in the image of God, being transformed to the image, conformed to the image of His Son, through the power of the indwelt Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're all, everything in our life should be pointing toward Father, Son, Holy Spirit as we live. So as we're moving on, we should be having a little upward climb. Okay, punctilier, and the reason why I didn't have you fill in the blank is because I didn't want to spell it for you. Okay, punctilier is that point in time. This is I'm going through life and I've sensed some changes, but I've come to that place where I understand that I'm indwelt, but I need to be filled. And so this is that, that point in time where I, I present my complete self. This is the, the complete confession and complete repentance. That, that, that time you spend with God where you're saying, all right, let, let's do some serious business right here. I'm tired of this little climb. Oh, yeah, I need to get serious about you. I've made you Savior. Now I'm going to make you Lord. All right? We understood Savior at the cross. Now, some point later, we probably are going to understand Lord, that, that we are now, he's master, that we're no longer in control. We, we, we have a complete, total surrender, okay? Uh, this, is this, this is the point of filling. This is when we move from an indwelt by the Spirit to filled with the Holy Spirit at that point in time. Ideally, ideally it takes place at salvation. Seldom does that happen. Seldom in, a, in anyone's experience does it happen at salvation, Usually it's a time later as they grow, as they mature, as we learn things, we realize, wow, there's another thing I need to do here. And we, we make that complete surrender. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's punctilier. That's a point in time when you said, you know what? I'm denying myself. Complete, total surrender punctiliar experience. Romans 6, 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer your bodies, the, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. This was Paul teaching the church. There needs to come a point where you offer your body, you offer complete uh, self, total surrender. And so even Paul said, I know it ideally happens at salvation, but probably experientially it doesn't. There's that point in time when you, you give it all to him. Romans 12, 1, I'm going to read it again just because I like it. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Again, it's an offering. Okay, we are offering him our complete and entire selves. So many times at salvation, we take what God offers do we not? 
We take salvation. We take eternal life. We take forgiveness. We remove the guilt. We, we take all of those things from God at salvation. As we begin to live in that, we realize, you know what? I need to give him all of me. And so now we start giving back. And this is the point in time when we give it all. Progressive experience. This goes along with experiential. Because once we give that complete total surrender, notice what happens to the, the chart. We begin to grow much quicker. We move at a, at a greater rate in our maturity, becoming more Christ-like. Yes, there's highs and there's lows, but now we're on a much steeper path. Ideally, this is the way it should look. Okay, that's the continuation of total surrender. This is the be being filled. This is the daily growing, the daily in the word, the daily in prayer, the daily communion with God, the daily confession, the daily being guided, the daily walking, moment by moment. Can you imagine? I mean, that, that spiritual growth is going to climb at that point. When we make the total surrender and it now becomes a moment by moment existence with God, when we, when we begin to, when we're seeing things, thinking like God is, hearing like God is, when we become more aware of the, of the spiritual world around us, we're going to climb a lot faster. And, and some of us, maybe we're stuck because we've never done that. And he said, you know what, I've grown to it, and you'll grow to a certain extent, and you'll continue on that upward climb, having never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll continue to grow. It's just going to be a very slow, hard process. And many people fall away. Many people just give up. But when we total surrender, we grow at a much greater rate. And we can see the growth. Um, Romans 6.11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Romans 12.2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Be transformed by the changing of your mind, the renewing of your mind. You think different now. Hebrews 10.14, because of by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Okay, that's experiential. That's, that's, we're, we're, we're being made holy. We're in the process of being sanctified. Positionally, yep, already declared so. But now let's live it out and ex let's experience that separation and that sanctification. We're being made holy. And then the last thing, and it's not on your chart, but you can draw this. You just complete this arrow all the way up here to this dotted line. Because there's going to come a day, you can draw a straight line straight up if you want. There's going to come a day when we have perfect sanctification. That's the last step. This is the consummation of the process. This is, uh, this is when the, the radical spiritual change once and for all happens after death. Either we die or when Christ returns. And when we, when we are there, when we die and we go to be with Christ, we're not tanging along that sin nature anymore. That we're transformed. And when Christ returns, it is complete. He, he consummates that. He completes the process. That we are once and for all given new bodies, new minds. We now think, act, everything like Christ in his presence. Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. At some point, we will be made perfect, Bill. Glorification would be another word for it. Perfect sanctification or glorification. Yes, that's another good term. This is the final change of the body. Made perfect at the rapture. Okay, at the last trump. Boom. In the twinkling of an eye. Changed. Made perfect. Read on your own, 1 Corinthians 15, those verses there. Um, talks about this as well, uh, this, this change that is going to take place. Okay, next week we're going to get, uh, I think, practical with it. The next two weeks we're going to talk uh, next week about um, the gift or the, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. We're going to look at those um, and, and how are those lived out in our life um, and get as practical as we can with those. And then the following week, which is our last week, 
uh, right before Easter. We will end on Palm Sunday. We'll, we'll meet here, and then we'll be done for until fall. Um, we're going to look at the gifts of the Spirit, and that's a very key one because every one of us has been given a gift, and we need to be using it. If we're not using it, then we all lose out. If you have a gift and you're not using it, we all lose. You lose more than anyone, but we all are shorthanded too with that. Okay, and so we're going to talk about gifts of the Spirit and, uh, in two weeks. So next week, fruit of the Spirit. Week after that, gift of the Spirit. Okay, like I said, I'll hang around for a little bit if anyone has questions uh, or wants to ask, wants to talk, whatever. And, uh, and the rest of you will be dismissed. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for truth. We thank you that uh, Jesus prayed that you would sanctify us by truth, that this truth separates us. Truth separates us from falsehood, Father, from the lies of the world. And so, Father, do sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Make us students of your word. Lord, that we would understand better who you are and understand better how we are to be. Father, would your Holy Spirit continue to guide, continue to enable us to have victory over sin. Lord, that we would go days sinning less and less and less, being conformed to the image of your Son, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Father, with this process, I, I pray that we would see the fruit, that we would see the results of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, filling us. Father, grow us up. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.